Mitch Ferraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And thanks for checking out the show today on this Saturday afternoon. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Mitch Ferraldis is off today uh, talking about an exciting time to be a Diamondbacks fan. Just look at the crowd that was at Chase Field for Game 3 against the Dodgers, and you'll kind of see what I'm getting at here. Now that the Diamondbacks are eight wins away from a championship, and that makes almost no sense to me. It doesn't feel real. But now that they're this close to potentially winning another World Series, I think the expectations have to change a little bit. I was talking with a friend before the show today, and they said, Steve, honestly, if the Diamondbacks had won 75 games and they were a couple games out of a wild card, I'd, I would have been okay with that. I would have at least been able to swallow that and say, listen, we're getting better. Next year will be better. We've got a good young core. I love Corbin Carroll. He's the rookie of the year. He's only going to get better. Zach Gallen, his future looks bright as a starter. Merrill Kelly's great. I'd feel really good if we were just in that position. But here we are. Here we are, where the Diamondbacks get a wild card with 84 wins. The least amount of wins in this postseason was the Diamondbacks. And they came into it losing, what, the last three or four games of the year. They weren't doing much offensively at all in the last couple of games leading into the postseason. And the Diamondbacks took down the Brewers, one of the better starting pitching staffs in baseball. I know Brandon Woodruff wasn't available for the series, but they took down Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta, uh, who are both fantastic. Freddie Peralta, by the way, was one of the best pitchers in baseball in the second half. I don't think he gets enough credit for the level of play he had in the second half of the season. Maybe a top two starting pitcher in baseball. So for them to take down those two starters and a really good Brewers bullpen that includes Devin Williams, who they jumped all over, maybe the one of the best relievers in the game, they didn't get a lot of credit for that. And I think when they won the, the wild card series, we all looked at it as like, wow, that, that was kind of fun. This is cool. We get to play in the DS. We get to play the Dodgers. And I would have forgiven you if you thought, you know what, going into this Dodgers series, I don't have a lot of high expectations. Even though they've got, you know, all these injuries to pitchers, uh, Dustin May, Walker Bueller, Tony Gonsolin, uh, the thing that happened with Julio Urias, he's not available, Trevor Bauer in that situation. Like, they, they've been pretty decimated when it comes to starting pitching. But they still had Clayton Kershaw, who's been terrorizing the Diamondbacks for, you know, Years. They had Lance Lynn, who was not very good in Chicago, but when he came over to L.A., all of a sudden he was a really good starting pitcher again. They got Bobby Miller, who throws the hardest fastballs in the entire league, on average. That's still kind of intimidating. And a really good bullpen in L.A. I love Ellen, uh, Evan Phillips, by the way. I think he's one of, the, one of my favorite relievers in the game, just pure baseball standpoint. Don't like the Dodgers. Bruce Dar Gratterall is really good. Uh, Vasilla is really good. Uh, they got a lot of good dudes, is my point. They got a really good bullpen. And a lineup that includes two former MVPs who were both in the conversation for MVP this year, even in a year where Ronald Acuna basically said, there's no need to have a conversation. I'm the MVP. He was that good. And Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman still worked their way into that conversation somehow. That's remarkable. Those are the top two guys in the, in the lineup that they had to face. And, oh, what did they do? One for 21 in the series. Somehow the Diamondbacks neutralized two of the best players the game of baseball has seen in the last decade. 
two future Hall of Famers who are still very much in their peak of their career, despite their ages. Uh, it's it's remarkable. I don't know how the T-backs managed to do it. I mean, we kind of do, right? They jumped all over Kershaw early. They jumped all over Bobby Miller early. They jumped over. Uh, they jumped all over Lance Lynn in that third inning. The the inning. I'm calling it, by the way, where they hit four home runs, four solo shots. First time that's ever happened in postseason history for any team. Four home runs in the same inning. Nobody expected the Diamondbacks to be here, to be a top two team in the National League, to be one of four teams left standing in the entire league. Nobody saw that coming. So everything's kind of just icing on the cake, right? I, I was doing the postgame show the other night, and one of the callers said, we're, it feels like we're playing with house money. Bingo. Yes, that's exactly how I feel. You're playing with house money. And you know what? Even if we lose a little, little bit in this hand of poker and we, and we play a little bit of craps, even if I lose some of it, I'm still up. And I feel good about it. Still had a great time. But I think that we have to kind of hit the reset button on expectations. Now that you're this close to a championship, eight wins away, the expectations change for me. And that's not to say that if it's World Series or bust. I don't think there's a bust option. I think you just take that away. I think it's just we have to we have to do everything possible to win the World Series. It's no longer acceptable for me to sit back and say, you know what, if they lose, I'll be all right. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to feel that. I want a championship, man. I want it really bad. And I didn't expect the Diamondbacks to even be in play for one this year. So the fact that they're this close... It just makes me that much more hungry for it. And an interesting question was proposed to me the other day. Would you rather the Diamondbacks win the World Series or the Suns win the NBA Finals? Oof, that one hit me hard because of where those two franchises are at right now. The Diamondbacks are eight wins away like we've been talking about. The Suns just got Kevin Durant last season. Uh, did it go well in the playoffs? No, they get kicked out in the, what was it, the second round. Um, it definitely did not go the way that they had hoped, but they're still one of the better teams, especially in the West, if not the entire NBA. So, uh, they're both close in my mind. The Diamondbacks are literally close. They're physically close to a championship. The Suns have the inner workings of a championship lineup roster. I feel good about that. They have a chance to win a title. Diamondbacks also have a chance. It just feels a little bit better because they're closer uh, I got to tell you, man, I would rather see the Diamondbacks win a championship. Now, that's just me. That's just me personally. I'm a huge baseball nut. I think uh, for me, winning a World Series, I, we all remember how it felt for the Diamondbacks in 2001. I want to feel that again. I felt it before, and I want to feel it again. You know that? You, you know what I'm saying there? As opposed to the Suns, you could very easily make the argument, well, the Diamondbacks have won a championship before. I've experienced that. I want to experience something new. I want to feel what a Suns championship would be like because that organization has been the longest standing professional sports team in this town, and they don't have one yet. Despite the 93 team and Charles Barkley, despite all that they got out of Steve Nash and his two MVPs, despite all these great things we've had in Suns, uh, in Suns uniforms over the years, no championship. So I, I'd totally understand if you said you would rather have a Suns championship. Me personally, I'm a baseball nut. I want to see the Diamondbacks win the World Series. And the context matters. 
in a year where you were an 84-win team, you're going to go win the World Series? Could you imagine? It's already remarkable that they've made it as far as they have with 84 wins in the regular season. We could talk about, all day long, we could talk about the things the Diamondbacks don't have. This is not a complete team. It's not a perfect team, and there are very few perfect teams, but you know what I'm saying, right? The teams that have pretty much everything, like the Dodgers at at different times throughout the last few years have had great rotations, bullpens, and stellar lineups all at the same time. The Braves in the last couple of seasons have had an incredible lineup, really good starting pitching, and some of the best relievers in the game. The Houston Astros have put all three of those elements together. The Diamondbacks, I didn't think they had any of that. They have some intriguing players in their lineup. They've got the rookie of the year, Corbin Carroll. They've got good offensive guys like Christian Walker's great. I like Cattell Marte a lot. I like some of their young players and how they're developing, but that it's not the most intimidating lineup of all time. They just play really well together. It's not an intimidating starting rotation. It's a really good top two. I'd put the top two up against most duos in the entire league, but beyond that, a lot of question marks. Brandon Fott's been really good, by the way, in the postseason. I will I will throw that caveat out there. His regular season statistics, not ideal if you just look at those, but he's been performing really well in the postseason. He deserves credit. But it, that's, that's the starting rotation. The bullpen, as good as they've been in the last month, month and a half, Ryan Thompson, Kevin Ginkle, Paul Seawald, Joe Mantiply has been locked down in the postseason. As good as they've been, that's not the most intimidating bullpen if you go two months ago. Most of those guys weren't even on the team two and a half months ago. Seawald was a trade. Ryan Thompson comes over from Tampa Bay. You see where I'm going with this. The Diamondbacks are not the most complete team in the playoffs. They're not even the most complete team in the NLCS right now. That would be the Phillies. But somehow they're still pulling off the wins. That's why a championship would be so sweet to me. Because that's baseball, isn't it? When you ultimately look at things... Who, who coming out of the regular season should have been in the World Series? Probably the Braves. They won the most games. They have the best player. They have the best strikeout pitcher in the game of baseball, a guy who's capable of striking out 300 in the season. I'm talking about Spencer Strider. That's a team. Matt Olson, 50-plus home runs. Uh, Austin Riley's a dominant hitter. They got one of the best outfields in the game. Michael Harris is involved. Um, there's so many good players. One of the best catchers, Sean Murphy. One of the best second basemen, Ozzy Albies. You get where I'm going with this. The Braves, on paper, belong in the World Series. They're not going to the World Series. That's baseball. There's no better way to describe it. I can't explain it to you any better than that. In a sport where you have such a large sample size during the regular season of how good a team can be, you get to the postseason and it's not indicative. It doesn't translate perfectly. Yeah, the Diamondbacks won 84 games. Get over it. They're one of the four teams remaining, still standing, and playing for a pennant for the first time in 16 years. My expectations are changing a bit. I want to see them win the World Series. That would be really cool. And you know what? And if it doesn't happen, I'll be able to sit back and we can look at this season as an absolute win. And I love what they have moving forward. We're not going to have that conversation yet, you and I. We're not going to talk about what the D-backs have going forward next season. We're not going to talk about that until it's all over. Whether they win the last game of the year or they lose it. But we will have that conversation at some point, I promise you. 
And we will talk about how encouraging this is for the future of the Diamondbacks. But right now, all of my expectations are on this season. I want a championship. I want it really bad. Somebody else that wants it pretty bad. Alex Weiner covers the Diamondbacks for Arizona Sports. He's going to join me on the show next. He's been traveling with the team on the road. We've been covering every single game post-game. Uh, I've got a lot of questions leading into this NLCS. We're going to kind of preview how the Diamondbacks fit against the Phillies. That's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It is Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for checking out the show. Steve Zinsmeister here with you. Mitch has the day off. We've been talking a lot of baseball with the Diamondbacks heading to the NLCS for the first time since 2007. They will play for a pennant. First time in 16 years. It's unbelievable. And here to talk with me about that is Alex Weiner. He covers the team for Arizona Sports and ArizonaSports.com. He's also my co-host on the Ain't No Fang podcast. Hello, Alex. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm holding up, man. And we're learning more about what is to come in the NLCS. So we found out starting pitcher matchups, or at least on the Diamondbacks side, we know what's pretty much going to happen in games one and two. Zach Gallen's going to get game one, despite the fact that Merrill Kelly is kind of next in line. Were you surprised that they made that switch? Not really. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting how you map it out because by that point, or by the time game two comes around, Merrill's going to go quite a while without having thrown a game. He's only pitched one game this postseason, but at the same time, you know, Gallons are 1A and Kelly's are 1B. And so at that point, it's already been enough time where I don't know how much big of a difference it makes necessarily as far as preparation. So yeah, they want, you know, Gallon and Kelly to go games one and two and then down the road games five and six in the series. So uh, it's not going to be you know, like the NLDS was set up where they'll have such this, you know, where they could have pitched four out of five games if the series went long enough. It's going to be a little bit different in how it's mapped out. But yeah, they're both in line to go twice each if the series lasts long enough. Yeah, it's interesting. You just said something I hadn't even thought of was the fact that they're going to go six games and only throw Merrill Kelly one time in those six games. That's that's kind of remarkable. Uh, talk to me about the Phillies, though. It's it's a totally different animal than the Dodgers. I get that. What do Diamondbacks fans need to know about the Phillies heading into the NLCS? Uh, this is a really hot team. I mean, you know, they finished in the top wild card spot. The Braves won the division uh, pretty, you know, pretty handily. But the Phillies in the second half of the season really came on strong, uh, and especially offensively. You know, Bryce Harper, you know, missed the first chunk of the season after recovering from Tommy John and he really found a rhythm in the second half and Trey Turner signed big free agent struggled early, but then found it down the stretch. And so this is a lineup that has a ton of stars that they spent a ton of money on over the last few seasons. And it really came together. And, you know, we saw that against the Braves uh, to take them down in four games. So it's a great lineup with a lot of power the pitching staff, uh, you know, the bullpen has been very good. Uh, a lot of guys with good stuff. You know, Craig Kimbrell's been around. He's, he's, he's the closer right now. Um, and he's had a nice bounce back season. And then the starting rotation. I mean, it's it's Zach Wheeler up top. Then they'll get Aaron Nola. And then they'll get Ranger Suarez, most likely. And, and Wheeler has been an ace this year, once again. Pitched very well in the postseason. The entire rotation has pitched really well in the postseason. So it's, it's a team. I mean... It, you know, there are four teams remaining. It's a very good team uh, across offense and defense. So 
or at least offensive pitching. So it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough challenge. Yeah, there's really no weak opponents the rest of the way. If you're going to win a championship, you're going to have to beat some really good teams. And I feel that the Diamondbacks have beat some good teams. The Brewers were not pushovers. They were leading in both of those games, and the D-backs had to claw their way back. The Dodgers, while missing a ton of starting pitching, I mean, that's a lineup that still includes two MVP-caliber players. So I'll ask you this. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman go a combined 1-for-21 in the NLDS. Is there any way to do something comparable with guys like Castellanos and Harper and Trey Turner in this Phillies lineup? I mean, in theory, yes, but that's pretty extreme. I mean, one for 21, and it could have been 0 for 21. I don't know. These Phillies, the Phillies team, they've been swinging the bats really well. Uh, in, the, you know, in the postseason, you know, they scored 10 runs in Game 3 against the Braves, and then even in that last game, Game 4, they only scored three runs, but it was three you know, no doubter home runs. I mean, it's a lineup full of guys who can kind of change the course of a series with one swing of the bat. And, you know, just even like looking at like the lineup depth compared to teams that the downbacks have faced, it's a little deeper. Uh, so it's it's a little bit different. Obviously, the Diamondbacks are going to be rolling out their top two pitchers in the first two games. They have a bullpen who has been, that has been tremendous down the stretch of the season and in this postseason so far. And then Brandon Fott held his own against the Dodgers to, you know, complete the sweep. So, you know, the D-backs are going in with pitching staff that has been very, very good. But, yeah, it, it seems a little extreme to think that they can, you know, completely shut down this Phillies offense. But you never know. That's why they play. Talking with Alex Weiner, our D-backs insider at Arizona Sports. Uh, the home field advantage in Philadelphia. While I'm sure you're thrilled to be traveling to Philadelphia to get a cheesesteak, uh, we can all acknowledge it's going to be a pretty hostile environment for the players and for the Diamondbacks in, in particular. Um, talk to me about what you think it'll be like playing in Philadelphia versus, you know, you won some big games in L.A. and that's not an easy place to play either. Yeah, I have never been to Citizens Bank Park, so from personal experience, I, I, I don't really know what it is like. But, um, I mean, seeing it on TV, seeing just, you know, the pop of the crowd when big moments happen and hearing all the stories about it. I mean, Merrill Kelly said yesterday that he went to Game 3 of the World Series last year with his brother uh, to watch the Phillies and the Astros. So he got a pretty close uh, encounter with what it is like to be in that crowd. Yeah, they're they're expecting it to be a, a pretty extreme, but at the same time, against the Dodgers, which is you know not a quiet crowd in and of itself, they were able to jump on them early and take the crowd out of it, and it was sort of a frustrated uh, crowd for the rest of the series, as opposed to it kind of being you know super locked in and a huge factor. So that's going to be key. Is just you know the crowd can only get so loud as you know the home team goes in that sense. So. You know, playing well early and jumping out ahead, I think that's a way to control everything. But yeah, it'll be it'll be pretty uh, eye-opening, that's for sure. I wanted to ask you about Tori Lovello's bullpen usage because it's been kind of comparable. It's been similar through the majority of the postseason games. The trend is you throw a guy early, maybe like a Joe Mantiply if you need a lefty, or an Andrew Saul Frank if you need a lefty, and then you kind of move to the typical guys. You've got Ryan Thompson, who right now is a multi-inning reliever. You've got Kevin Ginkle in the eighth, and then Paul Sewald in the ninth. Do you anticipate that they will continue to kind of go that route with the bullpen through the majority of the close games? Yeah, I think I think the way that they handled it will be pretty similar. I mean, they've had a shorter leash on starting pitching, uh, at least the last few starts. I mean, 
Zach Allen coming out of the game at 84 pitches, Brandon Fott only going four and a third. You know, Torrey has talked about, you know, stopping momentum, but also against the Dodgers team, he wanted to flip around some of their bats to help the matchups later in the game. Uh, and it worked. And, you know, while, you know, it, it may not be, you know, as, I guess, pleasing to watch, you know, when a starting pitching pitcher is kind of humming the way that Brandon Fott was coming out of the game early, ultimately the move ended up, you know, panning out. And uh, I guess we'll never know what it would have happened if they kept Fott in there. So, yeah, I think it'll be pretty similar as far as playing the matchups and kind of having a plan in place on how long pitchers will go, um, what the lineup looks like. I know they've been doing a lot of scouting the last few days. So, yeah, I don't anticipate anything crazy changing as far as the way that they've been handling the pitching. But, of course, there is that game four where we don't know who's going to start, if it's going to be a bullpen game, if it's going to – it sounds like they want to have a starting pitcher there, so and we don't know who that is yet. So maybe that kind of throws a little bit of a wrench into it, but I wouldn't expect too much change. And we will find out. To uh, stay up to speed on all things going on in the NLCS and with the Diamondbacks, you're going to want to check out Alex Weiner's stuff at ArizonaSports.com. All right, Alex, uh, safe travels to you. I look forward to talking with you on Monday for Game 1. Thanks, Steve. All right, man. That's Alex Weiner. Check him out, ArizonaSports.com. He's been super busy with all that's been going on in the postseason. He's been traveling to Milwaukee and then L.A. And um, I'm really lucky to do the Ain't No Fang podcast with Alex. He's got a ton of good info, and he's one of my favorite reporters, definitely covering the team. So, anyway... Lots going on there. We're going to see game one on Monday, game two uh, throughout the course of the week, game three, I think, back home on Thursday, the next opportunity for a game at Chase Field. Maybe you want to go to the game. That'd be a pretty big opportunity. Be kind of cool. Coming up next, Pac-12 After Dark is at it again. A major upset. While most of the country was asleep last night, I'll run you through what happened and why some ASU fans are already celebrating today. We'll talk about that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Morales, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, thanks for being with me on this Saturday afternoon. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Mitch Morales has the day off. I had just forgotten, I guess, that Brock Osweiler, former ASU quarterback, is on the ESPN broadcast crew. I just saw him up on the TV, and I was like, oh, haven't heard from Brock Osweiler in a while. Speaking of the Pac-12, I don't know if you saw what happened last night. Colorado versus Stanford. It's halftime. Most people either tuned out or went to bed or left the game entirely. Colorado had a 99.8% chance to win going into the second half. They were up 29-0. to zero. Heck of a score. And a lot of people looked at it, Coach Prime strikes again, right? 29 to 0, this is going to be an absolute blowout. Yeah, Stanford won the game in double overtime. They kicked a field goal to win the game. It was high, very high scoring. And I think a lot of ASU fans were excited to see that news last night. Or maybe they woke up this morning and saw, like I did. Because they hated the way that the game ended against Colorado. It was a close game. The quarterback, Shador Sanders, we all know by now, son of Coach Prime, he was flashing his fancy watch to the ASU student section. And a lot of people were upset about that. I get it, right? Colorado's not a great team. They're they're fine. They're pretty good. They got some talented players. I think Sanders is a good quarterback. I think he's going to develop pretty well. Uh, everybody loves that uh, Travis Hunter kid. 
He was phenomenal in week one playing corner and wide receiver. Gets injured in game two. And I, I get it, man. They're, they've got some intriguing aspects to them. And on top of all of it, you have probably the most interesting coach in college football. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. One of the greatest of all time at his position. Maybe the best defensive player of all time. There's an argument there, uh, both in college and in pros. He's just fascinating to listen to. He's a talker. He loves the attention. So I get why people are interested in Colorado games. Otherwise, you never, before this year, you never would have caught me watching a Colorado-Stanford game. But here we are talking about Colorado and Stanford because of what happened. And ASU fans are rejoicing because Shadur Sanders was being kind of a jerk. It's kind of what he does at the end of games. He flashes, he has somebody literally bring him his watch, which I'm sure is a couple grand, that watch. And he puts it on and he flashes it to the student section. And I get why that's taken the wrong way or in a negative light. But listen, man, college football is better when there's a villain. Absolutely. Always. Absolutely. Johnny Manziel. Remember when Manziel used to do the money Manziel thing with his fingers? Oh, yeah. Where, I mean, he was the best player in football. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, you know, he was egging it on. He loved the attention. Remember Baker Mayfield? Now, he had a lot going on. He was arrested. He resisted arrest. He flipped off fans. He got suspended for half a game. Uh, he planted a flag on the logo at Ohio State. All that stuff. I mean, he, he is an expert at pissing people off. He was a villain. And college football was better because of it. Cam Newton. Does anybody remember the whole Cam Newton recruiting scandal? Cam Newton is one of the most interesting stories, by the way, where he was on the bench at Florida when they won a title. Then he goes to Blinn College and wins a title there. And then the next year goes to Auburn and wins a title there. Three years, three titles for Cam Newton. But this recruiting scandal and uh, was there a laptop involved? And was there all this stuff, right? Cam Newton was kind of the villain and college football was better because of it. One of my favorite college football games of all time, it's one of the greatest of all time, was when I was growing up in Texas and the Longhorns are playing the USC Trojans. We're talking about Matt Leinart. We're talking about Reggie Bush. Uh, who else would have been there? Lendell White, Pete Carroll, that whole era. The USC Trojans vacated Heismans. They vacated games. They vacated titles. They're a villain in this story. And college football was better because of it. Just because you have a villain doesn't mean doesn't make them bad. I mean, I'm not a huge wrestling guy, but I've watched some wrestling. Could you imagine what wrestling would be if there was no like antithesis? There was no bad guy up against some of the greats? It wouldn't be entertaining. I was hoping he was going to go there. Yeah, like how fun is it to watch two guys just loving up on each other, you know? Like, hey, you're the best. No, you're the best. Ah, oh, thanks, man. That's not entertaining. I need somebody to be able to stand there and take it. And even when they have to take their lumps, they don't admit that they're wrong. I need a coach prime who, even though their team is four and three right now, is probably going to go into the next game and more people are going to watch Colorado than most other teams. Uh, college football is better when there's a rival, when there's a villain for all of us to watch, even if it's just to watch them lose. That's what we like to do. There's no, there's no good Marvel movie that doesn't have a villain. Nick Saban's been a villain. Nobody cared about, nobody thought Greg McElroy was this big villain. Nobody thought Trent Richardson was all that into, I mean, he's a great, these are great players, but they weren't villains. Nick Saban was the villain. 
for many years. I mean, he's still a pretty darn good coach, too, by the way. But that era of dominance, villain. Lane Kiffin, villain. Left him on the tarmac. People were enamored by that story. Colorado's entertaining as hell. Everything they do is entertaining. They've got flashy players. They've got a talkative coach. They've got these endorsement deals. They're changing the way people view college football, and it's entertaining. When was the last time we cared this much about a 4-3 and three team that was this intriguing? Never. Pretty much never. They don't even have that many impressive wins. I was looking at their schedule. They barely beat ASU, a 1-5 football team. No offense to ASU, but they pretty much know what they are at this point. I mean, they had a, one really dominant win, Colorado did, and it was over Nebraska, another team that's kind of in shambles. The TCU win was pretty good, but you didn't win by much. I don't think TCU is nearly as good as they were last year. Even when Travis Hunter, the two-way player that was amazing in week one, I mean, people were talking Heisman already for this kid. Even after he got injured in week two on that illegal hit where the uh, defender uh, hit him late, they got together. Travis Hunter and that guy got together to hang out and they shot a video interview talking about how he forgives him. And they were all cool. Yeah, I think they went bowling or something like that, right? That blows my mind. Could you imagine? I I'm sure this was a Deion Sanders idea. I'm sure he cooked that up. It was just like, hey, what if we uh, got the two guys together and show the whole world that like things are cool? And Travis Hunter, he's my boy and he's going to get over it and he's going to you know come back better than ever. I've never seen anything like that. I watched that whole interview. I was fascinated by it. That's marketing. Who does that? This sport is entertainment. I don't need a team to be undefeated to be entertaining. Colorado is finding a way to be entertaining without having to be undefeated. And Deion Sanders might just be a genius when it all comes down to getting attention and getting dollars and getting players. And that's really what the sport is about. That's how you win. And maybe someday his team will be a major player in college football. Not right now, but it's still pretty remarkable considering where they were coming from, being literally one of the worst teams in the FBS. So even if they're 6-6 six and six or they're 7-5 and five come the end of the season, that's still a remarkable turnaround. But maybe someday they'll be a major college football program, and then he will be undeniable. We might get to that point. Coming up next... I'm going to set you up for the NLCS, the Diamondbacks, playing for a pennant for the first time in a long time. So what does the NLCS look like, and what do we know about the Phillies? We're going to dive into that. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, Mitch has the day off. Steve Zinsmeister with you as we're wrapping up this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday. Let's move past the Dodgers series against the Diamondbacks, okay? You and me, let's let's do this. Let's move past that. We enjoyed it. It was fun, but it's time to get serious. And we're going to talk some ball. And we're going to talk about the Phillies. This is a whole nother animal. Nobody expected the Diamondbacks to be here. I get that, but they are. So it's time for our expectations to ramp up. I'm not saying it's championship or bust. It's nothing like that. At the end of the season, whether they win or lose the last game of the year, we're going to be able to look back and say, wow, that was an incredible run. It's already been incredible. But now let's look ahead. 
D-backs versus Phillies. This season, the teams have played each other seven times. The Phillies have won four of those seven games. And these were a lot of high-scoring games. There's an 8-9 to nine in there. There's a 15-3. to three. The lowest amount of runs that either team scored in any of those seven games was three. So I have a feeling that these are going to be very high-scoring games. That we're going to see a lot more offense, both from the Phillies and from the Diamondbacks, in the next couple of games. Certainly more than we saw from the Dodgers. Just totally shocked me and most of the world by how little they put together. One for 21 on the series for Betts and Freeman together? That's not happening again. The odds of that happening are so minuscule. So you're going to have to overcome some stuff. You're going to have to do what they call embrace the chaos. We've talked about this, right? Where throughout the course of the regular season, the chaos they created, the Diamondbacks, was on the base pads mostly, right? You get on, you swipe a bag, you drop down a bunt, you sacrifice hit, you get a sack fly. That's how we're going to win games. We're going to claw our way for each run to win a ball game. And we're going to have to pitch our hearts out. But that's not how they beat the Dodgers. It's, it's such a hard juxtaposition, right? Because we all watched that series, and I'm still kind of in disbelief of how they beat the Dodgers by hitting four home runs in an inning in Game 3. That's not going to happen again. I hope it does. But it's not going to happen again. And by jumping on Clayton Kershaw to the point where he doesn't make it out of the first inning. I don't think that's happening again. I hope it does. But you can't expect that. So... How does a Diamondbacks team respond to f- some adversity against the Phillies, which I I can almost guarantee you they will face? There's no gimmies from here on out. There's no easy road to a championship from here. You've got the Phillies, who are the hottest team in the postseason in terms of the bats. Their pitching's been darn good, too. You're facing the Phillies, and then you're going to have to face a really good American League team either way in a potential World Series. So there's no easy route from here to a World Series title. I can't imagine a series in Philadelphia like the one they just played against the Dodgers. Can't see it. It's possible. Be incredibly lucky. Philly is also one of the most hostile environments to play. I'm talking about the city, not just Citizens Bank Park. I mean, Philadelphia Eagles fans booed Santa Claus. So, you tell me how much brotherly love you're feeling in this series. I feel like that only applies when you're brothers. And the Diamondbacks and Phillies teams are certainly not brothers. I am a little bit concerned. The Diamondbacks pitching staff has not pitched well on the road during the regular season. I want to make the distinction clear. During the regular season, their ERA on the road was 4.81. It's pretty high. High whip, 1.35. They were much better at home, by the way. Um, but four out of their five postseason games and wins so far this season, uh, this month, have been on the road. Two in Milwaukee to start the wild card series and two in L.A. to start that series. So they're playing a lot better on the road in the postseason. Got to give them credit. It's not like Los Angeles was an easy place to play. The D-backs handled that environment pretty well. The Dodgers actually had four more wins at home this season than the Phillies did. So they're pretty comfortable. They're getting comfortable at being the road team in a hostile environment. And the Phillies certainly have that advantage going into game one on Monday. 
So what do the pitching matchups look like? We know from Tori Lovello that Zach Allen is going to get game one. That's at least a little bit interesting because Merrill Kelly is technically next in line in the rotation of things. Uh, Merrill Kelly is, has only pitched in one postseason game so far. It's just the way things have lined up. Um, so it is at least a little intriguing that they will switch them in the in the lineup or in the order, I guess I should say. And Gallon will pitch game one and Kelly will pitch game two. So I anticipate Monday night you'll get the Zacks. Zach Gallon versus Zach Wheeler, the best pitcher for the Phillies. How's he doing this postseason? Well, you're not going to like this. 13 innings in his two games that he's pitched. A 2.08 ERA. Pretty darn good. He's got 13 innings, I mentioned. 18 strikeouts. And a whip of 0.69. He doesn't let guys on at all. And opponents are hitting 170 against him. Zach Wheeler's a bonafide ace. And he's facing a bonafide ace in Zach Gallen. That is one of the most highly anticipated pitching matchups of the postseason. Game two, Merrill Kelly. It'll have been a really long time since he pitched. How will that impact him going into the game? Or has it just been so many days by that point that it all is just kind of a moot point? Merrill Kelly will likely get Aaron Nola in game two. Struck out 200 hitters this season. Uh, he's kind of the 1B to Wheeler's 1A, the way that Kelly has been the 1B to Zach Gallen's 1A. How's he been doing this postseason? Well, let me tell you, it's a lot like Wheeler. 12 and two-thirds innings, a 1.42 ERA, and a 0.87 whip. He struck out 12 guys in 12 and two-thirds. Again, dominant stuff from the starting pitchers in Philadelphia. So what does that leave for Game 3, you ask, heading back to Chase Field? Well, I anticipate it'll be Brandon Fought. He's pitched twice already in the postseason. I know he's a rookie, but he's stood the the tests of the postseason so far, pitched really well at Chase Field the other day. I anticipate they would give him game three. Uh, You'd probably see Ranger Suarez for the Phillies. He is the only other starter that has gone for them so far. He has an ERA of 1.04 in eight and two-thirds innings and a whip of 0.58. He's arguably, in a smaller sample size, been even better than Wheeler or Nola. And that's really saying something. Ah, listen, this is no easy test for the Diamondbacks. You weren't going to get an easy test no matter what, but those three guys I just listed for you are just as good, if not better, than what the Diamondbacks throw out there. A potential game four is really interesting, by the way. Well, game four will happen. I'm just, I'm spitballing ideas of what could happen in that game. Tori Lovello says no short rest for his pitchers, which means he probably wouldn't throw a Zach Allen in game four. So does that become a bullpen game? Who do they have that they could throw in that game? Would they go to a a Ryan Nelson for two or three innings? Would they go to Ryan Thompson, who's been their long reliever? Miguel Castro for an inning and then switch it up with a lefty. I mean, there's a lot of options there in game four at Chase Field. You just got to wonder what kind of situation will they be sitting on when they get to that game four? And if they're down 0-3, God forbid, do you throw Zach Allen anyway? There's a lot to look forward to in this series against the Phillies. And the Diamondbacks' expectations, at least for me, are a little bit different than they were going into the postseason. I want to say thanks to our guests today for Tyler Drake for joining us, our Cardinals insider, and Alex Weiner, our D-backs insider. For Trevor Henry behind the glass, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday.